So, uh, like I said, my name is Pastor Micah. Welcome to Harvest. If you're a guest here with us today, man, we're super glad you're here. If we can bless you and serve you in any way, please let us know. We would, would love to do that today. And, um, but we are going to continue on today in a series that we started last week. It's just a three-part series called This Is What We Do. And this series is not about you. It's not about me. It's about, say it with me, it's about us, right? Did you get that last week? Do you remember that? Okay. This is about us as a church. What do we do? What are we called to as the people of God? And last week we talked about welcoming without judgment. Today we're going to talk about how we need to love without condition. Okay. So that's going to be out of Luke chapter 10. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab that and get to Luke chapter 10 with me. Um, If you don't have a Bible with you today, there should be a hardback black one somewhere there on the floor underneath the seats. Go ahead and grab one of those. We'd love for you to to use that today as well. So um, one of the things that I have noticed over the last several months is that, um, I don't know about you, but I, we, Courtney and I, we have really grown to love the people in our small group. Anybody else have that going on in their small group? Right, the relationships and the right? Totally on that. And so I love the guys in our group. I love getting to do life with them and talk with them. And two weeks ago, I had to miss small group because I was out of town for a conference. And, um, and so while I'm gone, the guys in my group that I love so much decide they're going to plan a guy's night to go out and eat at a restaurant called Stacks. It's this burger joint that I've been really wanting to go to. And so they plan this big night on a night when I have a meeting and can't go. So they all go to Stacks without me, and then they come back this past week at Small Group, and they're all bragging about how awesome the burgers were and just really rubbing it in. I'm like, I love you guys, but you're kind of pushing it right now, okay? You ever had that experience? You're like, I love you, man, but like, you're, you're, you're kind of crossing the line here. It's amazing to me how sometimes we think about our love, the contingency of our love based on somebody else's behavior. Did you catch that? Whether or not I love is based on what they do, Is that what it's supposed to be? Well, today we're going to see in God's word from Luke chapter 10 that the real hindrance to love is not other humans, but my own heart. The real hindrance to love, biblically speaking, is not other humans, not what they do or what they don't do or who they are or what they say. It's about me and my heart and how am I doing at loving. So we're going to pick up in verse 25 there in chapter 10. And there's this interchange going on between Jesus and, and this guy. And, and uh, the first thing I want you to see in this little section here about love is this, that love is our only way to God. Love is our only way to God. It starts off, the, it says in verse 25, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Now, let's just pause there for a second. So the lawyer here is not like a lawyer today. It's not like he goes to court and then like, you know, goes before the judge and tries a case. This was a lawyer in this time was an expert in the Jewish law, in the, in the religious law of, of the Jews, what we would call the Old Testament today, okay? They were an expert in knowing and reading and understanding and even teaching the law of God from the, from the Old Testament scriptures. And um, it says here, this guy, he, he came and he stood up to put him, Jesus, to the test. So his whole, his whole goal here is to, is to show Jesus up, right? To prove that he's better, that he's smarter, that Jesus isn't so hot. Like, everybody's been following this Jesus guy. He's like, I'm gonna show, I'm gonna put Jesus in his place. So we can already see that the, the sincerity of his heart and his question is not real high. Are you tracking with me? Okay. So then he goes on, he says, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That's his big question. Okay, that's his big play on Jesus. Like, I'm, gonna, I'm really going to get Jesus with this one, man. Like, what do I have to do to inherit 
eternal life? What do I have to do to get salvation, to get to heaven, right? To, to have something beyond this lifetime. What do I have to do for that, Jesus? I think that right there is the fundamental question of every human heart. What does life look like when I stop breathing? Is this really all there is? This 50, 60, 70, if you're lucky, 80, 90 years, is that it for me? Is that all, is that my whole existence is just about these, this time here in this life? Is that really what it's, what it is? Or is there something bigger? Is there something more? Is there something beyond? People have been asking that question for a lot of years. So he asked Jesus the same question. And Jesus, it says, look at verse 26. He says, he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? So I love Jesus, right? He always does this. He just kind of flips it right back on the guy. He's like, oh, you're the expert in the law, right, Mr. Lawyer? Like, what do you think it says? Right? All right, you tell me what it says. And uh, what, it, what's not important here, though, is not just that Jesus flips the question back to the guy, but the way and the, the reason in which he does it. He says, listen, you know the law. You know what God's word says. It hasn't changed. The same answer to the question of how am I saved was the same answer back in the Old Testament scriptures as it is today. Just because Jesus came, just because he died on the cross for our sin, just because he made a way for us, it doesn't change the answer to that question. The same way we're saved today by putting our faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ is the same way that people were saved from the very beginning by looking ahead to a God who was going to come and save them and make a way for them. It was always by faith. It was always by what? It's by faith. Jesus says, you already know the answer, man. Right? And, then, and so the guy responds, and he, he can't be showed up by Jesus, right? So he's like, and he answered, you shall love the Lord. Like he almost had it, you know, he, he had it ready to go. You know that? Like he, this wasn't off the cuff. Like he was like, he had it in the, in the pocket ready. And he goes, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. So what he does here is he actually quotes two Old Testament passages. Those are like straight out of the Old Testament, right? So this is Deuteronomy 6, 5 and Leviticus 19, 18. And so he says, all of the law, this was the kind of the Jewish teaching of the day. All of the law, all of the Old Testament can be summed up in two things. Love God and love people, right? That was the whole, the whole kit and caboodle. Like he's like, this is it right here. And Jesus responds and look what he says. He says, um, he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So Jesus just completely affirms it. He's like, yeah, got it. Nailed it. Good, all right? Now for us, that can be a little offsetting at the moment sometimes because when we today in the Christian church, in the American church, think about the gospel, we nail down real hard on the grace and faith part and we, we try to really, you know, rail against the whole works thing, right? Are you with me? Are you tracking me on that, right? And here the guy, the guy says, well, you have to love God yeah, and you have to love, right? Well, here's, here's what Jesus is saying. He's like, listen, when you love God, if you truly love the God of the universe who created all things, who gave you a soul, who made you in his own image, if you love that God, you will trust him and you will submit to him completely. And that's what salvation is. Putting your faith in God is completely trust. You remember, remember Easter and the balloon and the gun thing, right? Remember that, right? Y'all about to have a heart attack. I was going to shoot this poor kid, okay? That's faith. That's salvation. That's trusting 100% in the God of the universe. That's love. That's what it means to love God. And he says, Jesus says, yeah, that's it right there. 
And when he says love others, he's not saying that that's what gets us salvation. He's saying that's what's the proof of your salvation. If you truly love God and you love his word, you will love the things that he loves. And God loves the people that he created. Are you tracking with me? So loving others doesn't earn you salvation, but it does show that you're actually saved. And so he says, you got it. Nailed it, right? This is the whole story of the Bible right here. This is the gospel. That God created all of us, and he set us on this earth, and we chose to rebel against the God of all creation. We chose to sin. We chose to push back. We chose to, I'm going to do my own thing. I don't need you, God. I got this under control. And God said, man, you're breaking the whole thing. Like, you're breaking all of it. And I love you too much to let you do that, to choose hell for all eternity. I love you too much for that. And so he sent his son, his own son, Jesus Christ, to be born as a human, to live a perfect, sinless life, the thing that we could never do, and then to die a sinner's death on the cross, taking my place, taking my nails, taking my punishment for sin, your punishment. He did it for us. And they put him in the tomb, and three days later, he rose back to life to prove that he was God. I told you guys, I told you I was coming back. Here it is. Death can't win. Sin can't win. I've got this. Just trust in me, he said. Just put your faith right here, and I'll save you from all of that. That's all summed up in the Old Testament law. God knew what he was going to do long before he had to do it. Do you understand that? That's how amazing our God is, that in his sovereignty, he has known from before time began exactly how it was all going to play out, and exactly what he would have to do to save you and me. And so it's never changed. Our middle daughter, Karis, um, is in kindergarten this year, and... Um, so she, you know, they've started working on all these different skills and stuff, and they're learning to read, and they're learning to write, and all this other kind of stuff. And so they've been writing these little, like, stories at school. And it's like these little, like, three-scene, three-page kind of stories. They'd, like, draw a picture, and then, like, write a sentence or something. And so this past week, Karis brought home one of her stories to us, and I just thought I'd share it with you this morning. This is partially illustration. This is partially proud dad moment, okay? So just bear with me. Um, so this was, her, this was her story she brought home. This is the first picture in the title says, find a church. I'll, I'll translate for you. I know it's a little bit uh, hard to read the kindergarten thing, all right? So find a church, which we're off to a great start, because if you go to any bookstore, what is like the biggest, most uh, profitable area of the whole bookstore? Self-help, how-to, right? So we got a how-to book right here in the beginning, how to find a church. We're going to make lots of money off this one, guys. The church is going to be, it's going to be awesome, all right? So picture one, find a church. Picture two, the first scene of the story, it says, find a pastor and make sure your pastor has a Bible. <laughs> right? Right? Great first measuring stick. Like that's, like if you walk into church and the pastor is not using the Bible, man, just turn around and walk out. Good call. Picture number three, last scene, and make sure it hearts God. Now God's up there in the clouds and why he has a pink dress on, I don't exactly know. So <laughs> we gotta work on the theology just a little bit, but but she's got the main things, right? She's like, find a church that loves God and loves his word. Amen? Right? That's us, Harvest. 
We love God. We love his word. That's what we're about. Amen. Give it. But here's the deal. If that's true of us, if we really love God and we really love his word, guess what we're also going to do? We're going to love his people. That's what he does. That's what he commands us to do in his word. No matter what it is in life, your relationship with God, your relationship with other people, here's what it boils down to. If I fail at love, I fail. Period. End of story. If I fail at love, I fail. I fail with God. I fail with other people. This is what it's all about. So the only way to God is love. Here's the second thing this morning. There are no substitutes for love. There are no substitutes for love. Look at verse 29. Goes on. It says, but he, the, the, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus. So they just had this little inter- interchange, right? And the lawyer's like, what's this? And he's like, what do you think? He's like, yeah. And he's like, exactly. That should have been the end of the story. That should have been the end of the paragraph. Jesus is turning to walking away, question answered. But the guy's not done. He's like, no, 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 wait, Jesus, I got one more. I, I got to make sure everybody knows who I am. I got to know, they got to know how great I am and how smart I am. And I can't let you win this. So I got one more question, Jesus. I got to. I got something else for you. He says, um, and who, who is my neighbor? Right? AKA, who do I have to love? Right? If we go back to the previous thing, love God and love your neighbors. Like, all right, so who's the neighbor? Who's the neighbor category? What does someone have to do to be within the boundaries of the category of people that I have to love? In other words, What's the minimum that I have to do to satisfy the love your neighbor thing? That's what he's asking Jesus right now, okay? Which, not a super smart question, especially for Jesus, right? Are you with me on that, right? But he's like, who, who's, who's actually in this, this neighbor category? And then he goes on, Jesus replied, so now Jesus is gonna give him a story, right? That's what he always does. He's like, oh, let me tell you a story. So he gives him this parable. Jesus replied, he said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. So the story starts like this. There's this man. We don't know who the man is. We don't get much details about the man. He is going from Jerusalem to Jericho, so most likely, highly percentages, he was a Jewish man. Okay, And this road from Jerusalem to Jericho in this time was, was a long, treacherous road. Jerusalem was way up on this kind of mountain, hill, high plain area, and Jericho was way down in the valley. And so it was this really steep incline, rugged terrain, 17 miles between these two cities. And because the road was so rough, robbers would oftentimes hang out along the road in different cliffs and, and behind rocks and, you know, in caves and stuff. And they would, they would use this as an opportunity to, to get the jump on somebody and, and rob them. And, this guy's going down this road, and it says that he fell into the hands of robbers, right? It wasn't his fault. He didn't choose it. It's like he did something wrong. He didn't earn this in any way. It was completely out of his control. Innocent victim. It says they stripped him, they beat him, they left him half dead. Sometimes I think we, 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 pass, part, we pass this part of the story too quickly. Envision that man laying on the side of the road, 
no clothes on, beaten so bad, bruised, bleeding, that the, the story calls him half dead. This guy's in really rough shape, right? This isn't like he just got a flat tire or, you know, has a little knock on the head. Like, this dude is in bad shape, right? So then Jesus continues the story. Verse 31, now by chance a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, so a priest in this time would have been a Jewish priest, right? And the Jewish priest, their whole job was to help people find spiritual healing with God, right? The priest was at the temple, and you came to the temple with your sacrifice, and you repented of your sins, and they helped you pray to God, and they helped you get everything right and get spiritually healed with God. That was their whole job. And he comes up and he says, and he saw the man, so it's not like he missed it, right? Like he saw the man. He was completely aware of the need of this man. And it says that he passed by on the other side. Like he got across the street to walk around this guy, deliberately avoiding helping him. And the immediate question that comes to my mind is, why would he do that? Right? Do you wonder that? Like, why? Why did he, why did he do that? Jesus doesn't tell us. He doesn't tell us why. We have some guesses, maybe, but we don't know for sure. Maybe one reason might be his status. As a priest, your job was to keep yourself spiritually clean so that you could do your work at the temple, right? And part of the Old Testament law was that if you came in contact with a dead body or someone who was dying, you became unclean, and then you had to go through all these sacrificial rituals to clean yourself back up so you could go back in and serve in your priestly role. And he's like, hey man, I'm a priest. I can't, I can't be making myself unclean. I, I gotta keep this you know, distance from this stuff so I can serve God and I can't help you because I'm serving God. What? Okay. And so it's this whole status thing, possibly. Maybe he was just fearful. Maybe he was scared. Right? The robbers got this dude. Maybe they're just waiting for another victim. And as soon as I saw it, they're gonna jump me too and possible. Maybe he was just busy. Maybe it was just busyness. I got somewhere to go. I got somewhere to be. I'm, I, I keep a schedule. I'm meeting so-and-so, and I don't, have, I, can't, I don't have time to stop here right now. I'm sure somebody else will help him, right? So I'm just going to keep going. We don't know. We don't know the exact reason, but whatever the reason, he deliberately chooses not to help. He deliberately chooses to, to, to bypass this opportunity to love this man. Next guy comes along. Verse 32, so likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. Levite, again, in the Jewish faith, his job was to also serve in the temple. They were a little bit kind of lower than the priest, but his job was actually to serve the people on behalf of God. Right? He was supposed to come and serve the people as they came into the presence of God so that they could be a part of this worship of God. It says he saw him, he was aware of his need as well, and he passed by on the other side, just like the priest, exactly the same. And so if you're in the, if you're in the, the group right now that Jesus is talking to, and, and most of these people, if not all of them, were Jews probably, and so if you're hearing this story, your top two spiritual leaders of your people group, of your faith, have just left this guy half dead on the side of the road, right? Like the guys that you thought for sure would help, that they for sure would do something, have just walked by. 
I think it's easy for us to read this and to start to, in our heads, maybe not out loud, but to kind of scoff at these guys. Like, how could they, how, how could they do that? How could they leave this guy like right there on the side of the road? Like he's, he's obviously in bad shape. Like what, what are they thinking? But I think if we're honest, I know for me, I, I didn't have to reflect on sometimes in my life where I've missed clear opportunities to love someone because of my status or because of my fear, because of my busyness. I've just rushed past those opportunities. And I think sometimes we can rationalize doing those things as these guys probably rationalized by saying, well, I can't, I can't do that. I can't love in this situation. I can't, because I'm doing this for God over here, right? I'm doing this, I'm doing that, and, and, and this is more important than that, and so I gotta stick with this thing over here. And, and we try to substitute other things instead of loving people. And so I just made a list here of five love substitutes. Maybe you can write these down. Maybe you can do some self-reflection this week see if maybe one of these is tripping you up in terms of loving without condition. So five love substitutes. The first one is spirituality. And what I mean by spirituality is the feeling of it. It's the, I, I love coming to church every Sunday and being in the presence of God and just feeling that, his presence with us and just the, the emotions that come over me and just this over-the-top emotionalism. And, and that's me and God's time. Like every time I, get, I come to church, I just get filled up with God and and don't get me wrong, here at Harvest, man, we love, we love to worship God, right? And we love to experience the manifest presence of God. That is awesome. But if that is the sole measure of your Christianity, you're missing it. It's not a bad thing, but if that's the whole thing for you, if the whole thing with you and God is just coming here and get that, getting that emotional high, and it never goes beyond that, that's not what Jesus called us to. It's not an adequate substitute for loving other people. Second one, shallowness. Shallowness says, I'll love this much. I'll love until it starts to hurt. I'll love until it starts to cost me something, and then I'm out. I'll love until it requires me to start trusting that person again, because they hurt me once before, and I can't, I can't go there again, and so I'm going to keep that distance, and I'm going to keep the love just surface level, just the froth on the top of the, whatever your favorite beverage is, okay? Like just the shallowness, just the icing on the cake, right? Just the top part. That's the only, that's my version of love, and that's not real love. That's not an adequate substitute for the kind of love that God calls us to. Number three is sweetness. This is one that I do not get accused of. Um, I'm sure that, I'm, I don't know, you guys find that hard to believe. But um, sweetness says, I'm just going to keep everything real nice. I'm going to be really nice and kind and everything. I'm never going to rock any boats, never going to create any problems. I'm just, and, and, you, and people love these people. We all love sweet people, right? You're like, oh, man, she's so sweet, right? So kind and nice. And, and they're great. We love being around these kind of people. But here's this issue. Sometimes our sweetness is just a camouflage so we don't ever have to actually do the hard things or have the hard conversations. It helps me avoid conflict. It helps me keep everything at a safe distance 
so I don't ever have to experience the pain of any of that. And that's not real love, because we all know that real love speaks the truth, even when it's hard. So sweetness, that's not, that's not enough. Number four is selectivity, or we could call this partiality. I love, but I, don't, I love this person, and I love that person, and I love that person. Not, not him, for sure, and not that group back there. They're not lovable, for sure. Like, I, got, I, got, I love, but I've got my people that I love, right? I'm selective. I'm partial. I keep, keep it tight. I can't love those people that are not like me. They're, they're weird. Number five, last substitute is service. It is possible to serve someone without loving them. Ask anybody who's worked in fast food. Right? Right? Listen, I'm glad that when we have such a high percentage of people in our church who serve here. It's unbelievable, guys, and I love it, and I'm so thankful that God has given our people a heart of service, but here's the deal. Service is great, but if you're not loving the people you're serving, it doesn't count, not for God. When you're out there parking cars, are you loving the people in the cars, which I know is hard sometimes, okay, I'm with you, but are we loving the people we're serving? If you're leading a small group, are you loving the people that you're leading? Is the preacher loving the people he's preaching the message to? Lord, I hope so. Lord, forgive me if I'm not. Service is great, but it's got to have love with it to count. It's not a substitute. It's not a substitute. We can't substitute these things for love. God doesn't work that way. So I told you that... um, a week ago, I went to this conference down in Memphis. It was called MLK 50. And it was a conference that was, uh, it was the 50-year anniversary of the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. And so it was this, there was this whole conference about race and racial inequality and the gospel and churches and how we can be a part of continuing to move the ball forward and, and getting things corrected in these areas in our country. And it's made it just super, super helpful to me and really helped open my eyes to some things that, Um, I can be doing, that we can be doing in this area. I'm super excited to share those things with you in the near future, hopefully. Um, But anyways, at the conference, we were were finishing up at dinner one night. We were walking back to the conference. There was a big group of St. Louis pastors. There were pastors from all these different churches in St. Louis that went. And so we're we're heading back to the uh, conference uh, center. And as we're walking back, I'm walking down the sidewalk, and we're kind of coming up on this corner, and there's this woman who has kind of collapsed right there in the middle of the sidewalk on the corner and she's just kind of all strung out all over the place and her bags are just laying all over and you can tell she's really distraught. She's crying and cursing and all this other kind of stuff. As we're walking up, it looks like one of her bags maybe kind of started to bust and there's like pieces of like personal items like all up and down the sidewalk. She's like been dropping them for a while and probably didn't know it. And, and so as we're walking up, we're kind of starting, I'm starting kind of picking up some of these items and I'm going to, you know, kind of carry them to her and kind of help her a little bit here. And so I collect all these items, and I, I walk up, and I hand them to the, to the lady. And, and uh, as I'm handing them to her, I have that, that feeling inside, you know, that voice where you're like, man, you, you, need, to, you need to do something else here. Like, you need, there's something else you need to help this woman with some way. And, and so as I'm, I'm hearing that, and then, but then almost immediately, almost immediately, my head starts coming up with all the excuses on why I can't stop and help this woman. 
like, you don't know her. You don't know her story. She could be totally playing you or, you know, she, she's, you're in a different city. This isn't your city. You don't have any resources around to connect her to or to help her with. The, the conference is getting ready to start back up. We got to get back. We're going to be late. We're going to miss our seats. Like, this is a thing. And, and so I, I'm, I'm, I'm sad and I'm, I'm, I'm hurt to confess to you that I handed her her stuff and I just kept walking. I just kept walking up the street. As I'm walking up, I'm just like, I'm wrestling with this. And I still feel this voice in me, and God's just, I mean, God is like whipping the snot out of me right now. Like, he's like, yeah, I told you to help that woman, and here you are walking away. And I get about halfway up the street, and finally I relented. And I'm like, all right, God, I'll, I'll do something. And so I turn around to walk back towards the woman. And two of the other pastors in our group have already stopped and are praying with her and helping her and ministering to her. And I missed it. I missed it, man. Like, I'm not just telling you guys this stuff from the Bible today because it's for you, it's for me too. I missed an opportunity to love this woman because I was so caught up in my own fear and in my own busyness, and I just, I just gave her this shallow s- sweetness, if you can believe that. Um, when I, when I, I picked up her stuff and I handed her her stuff, and, and I just kept walking. And I missed an opportunity to love. Who's that in your life? Who's that person for you? You know, that, that coworker that's lost, they don't just need your shallow friendship. They need you to love them. Right? Men, your wives, your children, they don't need you to just go get a paycheck and bring it home. They need you to love them, to love them. Serving is not a substitute. Church family, coming and serving in this place Sunday is awesome, and thank you for doing it, but it's not enough. We have to love. We have to love every person that comes through those doors with the love of Jesus Christ. That is what we are called to. There is no sufficient substitute for real love. There's no sufficient substitute for real biblical love. That's what Jesus is trying to show us in this story. The story goes on in verse 33. And the third point this morning I want you to catch on to here is this. Third point, not only are there no substitutes in love, there's no shortcuts in love. There's no substitutes. Number three, there's no shortcuts in love either. So in verse 33, Jesus keeps the story going. He says, but a Samaritan... Whoa, whoa, what? A Samaritan, what? Hold the phone. Like, this would have been shocking to the Jewish people listening to this story. They're like, why are you talking about Samaritans, Jesus? We, 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 don't, we, we don't do that around here. We don't, we don't like Samaritans. You see, the Jews, they hated Samaritans. The Samaritans were the people group that had come out of when the Jews were exiled out of the promised land. A few of them got left behind and they intermixed and intermarried with other people groups around them, and so they were no longer fully Jewish. They were Jewish and something else. And so all the Jews saw them as half-breeds and disgusting, and I mean, they just hated them. They were enemies. They were enemies, right? And so Jesus throws them this huge curveball, and he's like, so a Samaritan comes walking up, and it says that he, as he journeyed, 
which is an important word because he wasn't just on this like little commute from one city to the next. He's like on this long journey, right? Like coming across the country here because he doesn't live in Jerusalem or Jericho. He's a Samaritan. He's just kind of traveling through and it says, and he saw him, the man on the ground. And, and when the Samaritan saw him, what did he do? Did he avoid eye contact with him? Did he, you know, kind of shake his head and be like, dude, seriously, clean yourself up. Did he walk over and start quoting scripture at him or hand him some cheesy money track? Did he spit on him or mumble underneath his breath? Serves you right, stinking Samaritan. No, he didn't do any of those things, did he? He says he saw him and he had compassion on him. Compassion. He loved him. He loved this man who was supposed to be his enemy. Now, get ready to take some notes right here because this Samaritan is about to give us a master's class on how to love, okay? Like, this is it right here. This is the, this is the, the gold of this passage. He shows us here, I'm gonna say five tools of love, five things that we need to do to love other people. It says he went to him. So the first tool is just presence. If you're going to love somebody, you've got to be present, man. You've got to be present in their life. You've got to be present in their situation. You've got to step in with some proximity to show them love. He just gets, he gets off his donkey or whatever he's riding and, and, and walks over to the guy. He gets in the presence as he went to him and he bound up his wounds with wine and oil, which was kind of like medicine for that day. So the second tool is touch. You got, you got to, if you're going to love somebody, man, you, there's, there's oftentimes needs to be some touch involved. Appropriate, obviously, but handshake, a hug, uh, you know, a pat on the back, uh, whatever, like love is expressed in touch so often. And so many people who don't have loving relationships in their life, they never get touched at all. He gets off. He goes down, he gets in his presence, he starts banishing his wounds, he say, and then it says he set him on his own animal. So he's got some kind of animal with him. We don't know if it's a donkey or a camel or what, but, he, but instead of him riding on the donkey now, or his goods riding on the donkey, he takes the guy and he puts him on the animal. Right? Third tool is flexibility. Are you willing to adapt your plans, your stuff, to make an effort to love somebody? Or is it always like, I've got my thing I'm doing and I can't be distracted from this and I'm on my deal here and, right? Like, are we willing to be flexible in the moment in order to adapt to love whatever the need is before us? Says he put him on the animal. Um, Says, and then he brought him to an inn and took care of him. Fourth tool, it's time. This was not in his plan, right? This was not on the schedule for the day. But he gets the guy, he puts him on the animal, he takes him all the way to an inn, he gets him in the room, he gets him all bandaged up and rested and gets him some food and gets him taken care of. And he spends time loving this guy. And then 35 says, And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. So he stayed all night with this guy. That's some time, right? Like he wouldn't just like drop him off, hey, take care of this guy, I'll see you later. He spent some time with him. It says, and he gave, next day he gave the, the innkeeper two denarii 
and said, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Tool number five is sacrifice. He took money out of his own pocket to pay for the care of a man he didn't even know. Because he needed it. He's loving this guy. Not only did he say, hey, here's some money to take care of him. When I come back, if there's any extra cost, if there's anything, I'll pay for it. Sacrifice. If we're going to love people, we're going to have to get adept at these things. Being a presence in their life, being willing to come near and, and to touch them and to be flexible and adaptable and to spend time there, and most of all, to be willing to sacrifice our thing for their thing, whatever it is they need. I don't consider myself especially handy or that great with tools or repair. My dad wasn't. He didn't really teach me a whole lot of that. But, you know, when you get married and you buy a house, all of a sudden you have to start fixing stuff around the house, right? Like, because you don't want to pay somebody to do it all the time. And so I did start acquiring a few tools over the years um, in order to help with little things. And what I found is that certain tools work better for certain things. You track with me on that, right? And when I was younger, like, you know, you don't really get that yet. You don't, you're not really super adept at all the tools and stuff. And so when I first started, um, everything I did, man, it was just a hammer. Just beat it into submission until it's, the, you know, like just, just go to town, right? And, and everything I did was, was like that. And then I found out that sometimes that doesn't always work. And so um, then the next thing I found was the saw, right? If I can't beat it into submission, I'll just cut that sucker right out, right? Like you just cut it out of there and just get rid of whatever it is and, and fix the problem that way. But sometimes that's not always super helpful or healthy to cut stuff. So um, then I was like, you know what? If I can just figure out what the heart of the problem, if I can just get down to the root, just drill down on whatever that is, then I can get to the bottom of it and we can figure this thing out. I can fix it. Tracking with me? But sometimes that doesn't always work either. What God's been teaching me more and more as I get older and dealing with relationships is sometimes the tool you need is more like a chisel. It's just taking a little bit off here, a little bit off there, being patient, and just working a little bit at a time, right? That's how God works with us, isn't it? Just taking the rough edges off one at a time, little by little. The tool is important. Having the right tool for the job is super important. But even if you have the right tool, it takes a little bit of determination, doesn't it? It takes a little bit of effort. It takes a little bit of work on your part to actually get it done. But if you have the right tool, the work goes so much, if I can make a little bit more noise with this thing, um, so much faster and easier. And in your life, relationally, the tool, the right tool in every relationship is love. If you want to fix that problem between you and whoever, your spouse, your kids, your boss, your neighbor, the tool to fix relational stuff is love. Love is the tool for every relational problem. You're like, Mikey, you don't know. You don't know what they did. You don't know where I'm at. You don't, you're right, I don't. I do not know the specifics of your situation. 
but I've had a lot of them myself. I've talked with a lot of people about a lot of stuff in their lives. And I can tell you that when you're in a relationship and you hit a roadblock and you hit an obstacle and you hit a problem, at that point you have one of two choices. Either love through it or walk away. If you don't choose love to fix the relational problem, you lose the relationship. Love is the tool. Last thing this morning. Love is about who I am, not who they are. Point number four, last thing this morning. Love is about who I am, not who they are. Look at verse 36. This is like my favorite part in the whole story, man, right here. Jesus, man, he's so awesome. He says, which of the three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? So Jesus just completely flips the question, right? Originally, the guy asked him, the lawyer asked him, hey, what does someone have to do for me to love them, right? What do they have to do or not do to qualify as a neighbor so that I love them? What, what do they have to do so that I love them? Jesus says, no, wrong question. Wrong question. The question is this, what do I need to do to be a loving neighbor? That's the question. Not what do they need to do so that I can love them. What do I need to do so that I can love them? How do I be the loving neighbor? So then the guy responds in 37. He said, the one who showed him mercy. The one. He wouldn't even say, the Samaritan. He wouldn't even say his name or his title. What blatant, flagrant, ungodly hate is that? That you won't even say the word. This is one of the most blatant pictures of racism in all of the Bible. And it's ugly. And it comes from a heart of pride and self-righteousness and self-centeredness. Racism and racial injustice is the polar opposite of love without condition. And God hates it. And we should hate it too. And hating it means standing up to it. It's not enough for us simply to say, well, I don't do that. I don't believe that. I don't participate in that. It's not enough for us to just silently disagree. If we're going to be like the Lord, we have to speak up on behalf of those who are suffering under the plight of racial injustice and racism and hatred and prejudice. We have to speak up. Because God speaks up. And if we're going to be like him, we have to be a church that does the same. This guy is like just completely missing it. But still, look how Jesus responds. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. You Try to be like the Samaritan. You know, I know that dude was like fuming, man. Like, he's so mad at this point. Like, you need, to, you need to be more like him. 
But here's the real point. What is Jesus saying to all of us is this. You, me, we have a responsibility to love others without condition. It's like, this is, this is it. This is how you love. We are charged by our God and by his name and those that he loves to love without condition. Right before Jesus goes to the cross, right? The night when he gets arrested, you know, in the garden. Right before that, he's had this whole discourse with his disciples, like the last words he's basically gonna say to them before he dies. And the last thing he says to them right before he gets arrested is this, John 13, 34 through 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Three times. All right, Jesus, we get it. Okay, love one another. Got it. Check. Right? But notice what he says here. People will know by the way that you love. People don't know you follow Jesus because of how much knowledge you have about the Bible. People, people don't know that you follow Jesus because of your church attendance or your Christian t-shirt, or the decal on the back of your car. That is not what shows people that you follow Jesus. He says it's the way you love. They will know you by your love, he says. There's a famous book written by Victor Hugo, later turned into a musical called Les Miserables. And I'm sure many of you have seen this or heard this before. It's, it's, it's a pretty... Um, well-known and popular show. But in, the, in, this, in this musical, Jean Valjean is kind of like the main guy that it starts with. And it starts with him getting out of prison, all right? So he gets released from prison. He's this ex-prisoner now, and, but he has nothing. He has nothing. He has no food. He has no place to go. He has no place to, no, nobody to help him. Like, he's got nothing. And nobody will take him in, and nobody will give him a job because he's of his record and because of his past. And so he's just, he ends up sleeping on the street and just trying to survive. But eventually, he comes across this bishop in this church. And he takes him in, and he gives him a place to stay there in the church. But then one night, he gets whatever going on in his head. And he's like, I can't stay here. I can't do this. And so he, he leaves in the middle of the night, but as he leaves, he stills all of the silverware from the church. He's going to take it and sell it and, you know, so he can have some money. So he steals it and he leaves. Eventually the cops find him and they, they find the silver and so they take him back to the church to basically return it and then also to get him indicted, you know, to say, did he steal this? Yeah, he stole it. Okay, and we're taking him to prison. And so they take him back and as they knock on the door, the bishop comes to the door and he immediately plays it off. He's like, oh, no, no, no. No, no I, I gave it to him. It's okay. In fact, you forgot something. He, like, grabs two more pieces of silver and, like, hands it to him. He's like, you forgot these. Take these two. Go and make a life for yourself. And Jean Valjean is just, like, wrecked by this, right? He, like, he, he can't understand this type of response. He can't understand this type of love. He's never experienced this before. And it changes who he is. And he goes on to, to, to change his life, and he becomes this very benevolent businessman and mayor and, and goes on to pass on this type of love to others. I am Jean Valjean. So are you. We're the bitter, broken, sinful, need a second chance, 
and we need the bishop, Jesus Christ, to come and love us when we were completely unlovable, when we did nothing to deserve it, when we did nothing to earn it, when he had every right to do the opposite. And this story has been told and retold countless times because of this theme, because of this theme of love without condition. I need to learn and remember that God loved me, not because of who I am, but because of who he is. And he's given me that same heart of love, and he expects me to love others the way that he has loved me. Love is a matter of the heart, not the conditions. When you decide whether or not to love that person, remember, love is a matter of the heart, your heart, not the conditions around who they are or what they've done or what the situation is. The real hindrance to love is not other humans, but my own heart. Romans 5.8 says this, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's always been a, just a shocking verse to me. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He, he loved us when we were unlovable. He loved us when we did not deserve it. He loved us when we had given him every reason not to. And he loves us not because of who we are, but because of who he is, his heart. As a church, we need to love like that. This needs to be a place where people feel loved without condition. And I'm telling you guys, if we do that, if we create that culture here, we will not have enough space for all the people that God will bring to experience that kind of love. Because they're not finding it anywhere else. Outside of the local church, they're not getting that anywhere else. And if we'll be a church that will do that, God will use this ministry to multiply his love into the hearts of person after person after person. Love without condition. This is what we do. Stand with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now. Father, we just thank you, God, for, for all that you are and all that you've done for us, Lord. We could never even begin to imagine or repay the great love that you have shown to us. Thank you for loving us first. Thank you for loving us, not because of who we are, but because of who you are. Now, Lord, through the power of your spirit that lives within us, Lord, give us hearts that love the way that you love. We want to be a church that loves without condition. But we know that that's only possible when we're filled with the perfect love of God. Lord, fill us. Fill us now with your love so that it can overflow 
to all those around us. We pray all this in the precious name of Jesus Christ.